Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Football Outsiders Live. Here we are on Twitch, twitch.tv slash FBOutsiders every weekday now at 1 p.m. Eastern. I'm Aaron Schatz, the Editor-in-Chief of Football Outsiders. I'm joined today by Mike Tanier and Derek Klassen, and we are here to talk some football and answer all of your questions, uh, some of which were posed to us ahead of time. And just talk about what's going on in the league. And you guys missed really good Minnesota Vikings conversation right before we went on the air. <laughs> we stopped talking so we could start the show. We stopped talking about football. Stop talking about the Vikings, where I uh, take the position of uh, that the Vikings came into the season with a little bit of promise and things have just kind of gone wrong for them. <laughs> Whereas Mike and I believe Derek also takes the position of there really was never any promise to begin with. And also things have gone wrong for them. That's yeah, right. I think I think for me, at least it was like, I could kind of see where this could go right again for the Vikings. But, you know, after just Kirk and Zimmer kind of seemingly not really getting along with all the stuff that's been going on. And then just some of the, like the injuries that they've had, it was just like, there's something deeply wrong about what's going on the vibes are just bad which is not very like good concrete analysis but it just doesn't <laughs> feel like it's their year so well like i say uh, intangibles are called intangibles because they are intangible that doesn't mm -hmm. mean they don't <laughs> exist and i do think that the issues in the locker room with the vikings are a thing and the fact is this is a team that listen i i can talk all i want about the close losses are not as demonstrative of being a bad team as big losses. This is a team that has lost by three points in overtime. Right. And by one point on a missed field goal. An right. easy missed field goal. The 37 is not very hard. <laughs> better than you think they are. They're 20th in DVOA. They're the best 0-2 teams. The problem is when you look at the rest of their schedule, Cincinnati and Arizona especially Cincinnati, was a game they needed to win if they wanted to be real playoff contenders. Now they have to do Seattle. Mm -hmm. They have to do Cleveland. And even if I'm the leader of the Cleveland is overrated bandwagon, they're better than Minnesota. Then Detroit, okay, that could be a win. Right. And then what looks like a really good Carolina team on the road. Right. So, I mean, they could start 0-4. Mm -hmm. And... They needed to win those. They needed to win those close games. Like close games that don't necessarily tell you this is a bad team, but they're also not a good team so far. And more importantly, uh, they're still L's. So like you don't <laughs> get to go back and replay them just because right. the score was close. I think Dave Gettleman thinks you can go back and replay them, but yeah, they shot them. <laughs> they shot themselves with penalties in in week one with like false starts and stuff because the crowd noise was too much for them in Cincinnati. Um, they're terrible when they're backed up at the, the field position. I think DVOA, they're like 30th to 32nd when they're in the back zone. Uh, they're giving up too many splash plays. If you look at their DVOA on uh, deep shots, they're like 30th to 32nd giving up deep shots. You can see that in the highlight reel. All these little things are adding up to hurt them. And yeah, they missed a field goal. They also had a 62-yard field goal against them before halftime in the Cardinals game. There was some bad juju stuff there. But it's a team that makes its own luck. They're not the Chiefs who can overcome five mistakes and still win. They're the Vikings. If they if they make three or four mistakes, they're going to lose the game. Little Cheeky asks, what is it going to take to get Aaron off the Cleveland is overrated bandwagon? Wow. Um, I want to see some games that are impressive in DVOA. Uh, I think if we get to week five and they're 5-0 and, oh and they've beaten the Chargers on the road, although I don't know if 
the Chargers count as on the road, right? Because right, right. that thing is going to be half Browns <laughs> fans. Um, I mean, you know, it's hard to at that point they'll be a top five or six team in DVOA, and they'll be five and zero, oh, and I'll be like, okay, I, I was wrong. Cleveland really is this outstanding this year, despite the fact that last year they were outscored by their opponents and they were only 18th in DVOA. That being said, their defense, what I said going into the season was, I don't think their defense is as improved as people think it is. Hmm. And what have we seen? That their defense so far is not as improved as people think it is. Now, some of that is playing Kansas City, but they also played Houston. (laughs) So, I mean, you know, and half of that game was with Davis Mills at quarterback. And you've got an injury crush right now where Jarvis Landry is out waiting for Odell Beckham to see if he's going to make it this week. Mary Kay Cabot at cleveland.com said he's going to make it this week. But you're rec- they have great tight ends, obviously great back. The receiving core right now looks very weak. They're very thin. I mean, they're number one so far this year in offense. But again, not adjusting for opponent yet. Kansas City's defense, bad. Houston's defense, probably bad. <laughs> so... I just, I'm not in the Cleveland is a Super Bowl contender, one of the top teams in the league. Right. But if they, you know, when you get to 5-0 and and you've won in Minnesota and in Los Angeles, I mean, also their schedule also is sort of backloaded with hard games other than Kansas City. Like most of their harder games at Baltimore, at New England, at Pittsburgh, at Green Bay. Mm. Those are all late games, whereas okay. early they have, you know, at Cincinnati looks easier, at Minnesota looks easier. They've got more home games early in the season. So that's it. So it's like when you said overrated, not a playoff team, schedule is baked into that. Yes, the schedule all is those tough road games and a harder than average schedule, but also their schedule is a little backloaded, like the harder yeah. games are later in the season. So they could look good. I mean, I don't think they're a bad team. I think they're a good team. I just don't feel like people are talking about them like they're on the same level as the Chiefs and the Bucks. And before the season, I was the leader of the Rams are not on that level and the Browns are not on that level. And I feel like the Browns have still not proven they're on that level. The Rams, I'm starting to come around to. (laughs) (laughs) I think for me with Cleveland, it's just like, I guess the argument is that, you know, the hope is that if you can get these wins early versus whoever and however you can get them, that you have the the leeway to kind of figure things out as the season goes on and as they get into this tougher back half of the schedule. But like, to me, it's just if you can't defend the pass, like when you get into these tougher games, these guys are going to pick you apart. And we already saw it with Mahomes and you're going to see it again with, with some of these other um, offenses that they see down the stretch. So they have guys that are like on paper talented in that secondary, but it just does not look very good right now. Right. And you just have to pray that it comes together at some point. They're probably not as bad as 31st in DVOA that they are right now, but I'm not sure they're better than like 24th or whatever. And again, I said last season, you had the Rams defense last year that was great against the pass. If you think of it in three sections, you had Staley, the coordinator, you had the, the um you know the main axis of ramsey and donald and then you had like the depth secondary guys like troy hill and john johnson guys who were not Jalen Ramsey, right and for the most part right those three parts of the rams defense went their separate ways this offseason right they went to the chargers and hill and johnson went to the Browns. and i like i kept saying 
people feel like Hill and Johnson, it's like they're going to bring Brandon Staley's mojo with them <laughs> or Aaron Donald's mojo with them to the Browns. And as much as I think John Johnson is a really good player, like it's not like it can't both be that the Rams defense is going to stay this good mm-hmm. and that the Browns defense is going to suddenly be good because they added Hill and Johnson and, you know, whatever Jadavian Clowney, Clowney is now. Um, <laughs> Which is not a first that, round, you know, right. not a number one. He's not Miles Garrett, right? Oh, Miles mm-hmm. Garrett is Miles Garrett, so that's good. <laughs> right. And so I think so far, right? It's only been two games, but so far, Chargers pass defense average with with Staley. Uh, Rams pass defense still really good, right? With Donald and Ramsey, Browns pass defense not good. Right. And whenever we're having these conversations, we're talking about not the Browns going from terrible to wild card, but wild card to Super Bowl. So right. that's a different level of criticism. That's a different expectation. Where it's like, like Derek says, oh, they finished 20th in defense. That's probably okay for wild card competition. We're trying to argue this upper echelon and suddenly all the criteria changes. Right. Their offense is good enough that if they finish 20th in defense, they are absolutely wild card contenders. Right, right. I think it's also just as simple as like, you know, because like you guys are saying, the argument is like, are they in the, the Chiefs tier or whatever? I think at the end of the day, like those teams at the very, very top have a quarterback who can get you a bucket and win you a game whenever. And we've seen that like with Baker, not that he's a bad quarterback, but I think he's not yet a guy who we're like, he can just win you a game whenever, you know, that you need it. And I think until he starts to do it, it's kind of tough to, to put the team in that upper echelon when they clearly have other issues. Obviously it's more of a range than this, right? But if you think about it, quarterbacks come in uh, three categories, uh, win because of win with and win despite (laughs) and Mayfield has still not proven that he can go from the top part of win with Mm -hmm. to win because of right? right. Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, those guys are win because of, right. yep. um, like, I still don't think Matthew Stafford, despite what he's doing right now, proves that he's a win because of, I think he's a win with an awesome system. Yeah. I, I would agree. Yeah. Um, but it just may turn out that Jared Goff was a win despite of, and, <laughs> <laughs> and it was just so good. That it looked. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Derek, have you been watching the Rams closely? Uh, yeah, a decent amount. Yeah. What do they do well on offense besides besides Cooper Cup get wide open? What else are they doing really well right now? Or do they need nothing else? So I think it's a couple of things. One, their empty game, they have so much more access to stuff than they did previously. Because like with Goff, you didn't really feel comfortable with him hanging in the pocket in five-man protections. He just, you know, you didn't trust him to see the field for that long. Um, You didn't trust him to to be able to make throws with bodies around him consistently. Whereas, like, with Stafford, like, they'll throw the deep over from five-man protection. He doesn't care, and he's going to hit it. And I think having that kind of access to deeper stuff from empty when teams are probably thinking you're going to throw short, and they do a little bit of that, of Mm -hmm. course, but, like, just having a little bit more of a change up there I think is doing a lot. Um, I think in general, they can just get to shotgun whenever they want. Like, I think with Goff, I wasn't someone who really trusted him as a shotgun passer for just like, you know, traditional dropback stuff. Whereas like with Stafford, you can go, you can be second and nine and just get into shotgun and you're not, you don't have to do play action. You don't have to do any of this stuff. Mm -hmm. You can just go into normal dropback and you're like, yep, he can throw the dig every time and he's going to be able to hit it. So I, I think the offense just has more 
access to some of the tougher stuff that quarterbacks can do. The, the thing about Goff is really, right, the, the old line about him, Ben Muth's line is he's like a jugs machine. If you just point him in a direction and tell him to throw, it's awesome. Right. <laughs> and I think, I think we even saw in the Detroit Green Bay Monday night game, it's like when he starts going through his reads, he, he, when he gets to read the later read, he's making mistakes. Like that interception mm-hmm. he threw where they were trying to come back and backdoor cover. I mean, they weren't trying to come back backdoor cover. They were trying to win. But in my mind, they were right. trying to backdoor <laughs> For cover. For us. <laughs> um, and that interception he threw was, like, bad. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah. was, it was a, this is not my first read, and I kind of panicked kind of. Mm-hmm. Right. And you had the fumbles and things like that, and all these little gothisms where you're, you're not seeing the, the super high-end athleticism or the super high-end anything, whereas with Stafford, you do see – ball out quickly that much velocity on that much snap which helps in the empty game certainly mm-hmm. right and like i said before the season it was tough for people who come from a statistical perspective and you know that's me that's my game that's what i do the difference between these two guys was not that big um and this was an interesting case study for sort of film work versus stats so far film work is winning mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we'll see in the long run um but I mean, you know, also let's be honest, part of it is who they have to throw to and the systems that they're running. Like Anthony Lynn, I think could be a good offensive coordinator, but Sean McVay is a genius. Right. And, you know, Amon Ross, St. Brown and Quintus Cephas are not Robert Woods <laughs> and Cooper Cup. Are you sure? Although TJ Hawkinson <laughs> is better than yes. he is good. They have, they have one win there uh, over the Rams. <laughs> yes. Speaking of Monday night, did you guys watch the Manning broadcast? A little bit. I caught some of it, yeah. Because I watched the first uh, the first week. I watched mostly the Statcast broadcast. Broadcast because obviously I'm friends with Mina Kimes and I'm friends with Doug Kazarian. For people who don't know, Doug Kazarian and I went to the same university, so we've got that connection. So I watched their broadcast. I watched the whole thing for the Mannings in the second week, and with all due respect to Lewis Riddick. The Manning broadcast is so much better, but the best part of it was, I'm just thinking because TJ Hawkinson, because they made a big deal about that when Gronk was on, uh, when they started to break down plays and Gronk was so uninterested. (laughs) 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 Breaking down plays and someone said to me, Gronk is, are you saying Gronk is dumb? And I'm like, no, I'm not saying Gronk is dumb. I'm saying Gronk is not interested in breaking down X's and O's this evening. I liked liked it. One thing I feel like, They've got a double banana situation where they almost need like a third person there throwing to one, throwing the other, because it sounds like Peyton and Eli are trying to one up each other a little bit too often. And also somebody to slow them down a little bit when they really are diagramming and diagnosing those plays. What did you what did you mean by that, Peyton? So when you say this, what does that mean? Whereas they're both like, yeah, 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 yeah. It would be yeah. interesting if they had a Sal Palantonio, someone yeah. to be the host of the show and distribute to the both of them. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe Cooper could do that. <laughs> Um, (laughs) one of the questions, by the way, we already answered one of the questions that came back over Twitter or Instagram, I can't remember which was how good are the Browns? So we've already talked about that. Um, another question is, this is from Jake Murray on Twitter, Zach Wilson's week two defenestration, a systematic jets problem, or just another case of Belichick dismantling another rookie quarterback. Uh, I mean, it's definitely partly just, you know, Belichick is going to do that to rookie quarterbacks, but also like, 
even if you were a supporter of Zach Wilson, you had to know this game was going to happen, right? Like, that's just the way that he plays. He's going to take his shots. He's going to be aggressive. He's going to try to see what he can get away with. And he's not clean enough to do that yet. And that's, like, fine. He plays on a bad team that doesn't really have a very good offensive line and has one and a half NFL receivers. So, like, (laughs) it's a tricky spot for him. But I think think he at least – I don't know. I'm more willing to be okay with a rookie – going and taking his shots like that especially on a team that clearly there's the Jets aren't accomplishing anything this year right like we're not joking anybody um and so I'm kind of okay with the rookie you know even for as bad as it looked trying to get away with some stuff and I think most of his interceptions really safe for the last one were him trying to do something correct he just didn't you know like the first interception to Corey Davis he just overthrew it or the second one I think um and then he had the one the the, like, yeah, the first thing was the one that was tipped. That was over the, the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Davis and Jason okay, Jackson tipped it. The second one was the overthrow. Right. And then the third one where he just like puts too much un- uh, air under like a, a far outbreaker to the sideline. Like he can, you can make mechanically, I think you can clean that up to where he can drive that better, stuff like that. The fourth one was obviously just like he wanted to take the ball and go home and he was done. (laughs) But I mean, like I said, I think you knew these games were going to happen with Zach Wilson. And I think at some point during the year, you're going to get a game on the opposite and where he throws three or four touchdowns and looks insane. And you're like, oh, this is the guy that we drafted. So one thing I'm going to disagree with you on, and, you know, this is the game that I watched. So, uh, you know, I won't pretend to be an expert on some of the other games that I didn't watch. I was shocked at how good the Jets' offensive line looked. Now, mostly, I will say that's run blocking. Yeah. But even without without Mackay Becton, mm-hmm. the pass blocking was was reasonable. I didn't feel like Wilson was running for his life all the time. Right. Vera Tucker he, played well. Uh, I think Fant's okay in that situation. Yeah. Like, but what's his name used to be on Washington? Morgan Moses. Yeah, I, I I was surprised. I thought Morgan Moses was going to be the right tackle. I was surprised they chose Fant over him for the first mm-hmm. game, but with no Beckton, they moved Fant to left tackle, and Moses comes in at right tackle. That's Moses is a good player. I would say a big part of that is I think um, their interior is actually probably the part that I trust the most. I mean, Greg Van Roten is not very good, uh, but center Connor McGovern is like really really good, and I think yeah. at least right now that. Patriots interior doesn't look that great so I think when you know you can give a lot of your help to the outside where that's where a lot of the Patriots have their best guys right now I think it's a little bit easier to game plan that sort of stuff whereas like when they played the Panthers Panthers got dudes all over so it's kind of hard to like to to game plan for that a little bit better I think I didn't really break the game down a lot did you see it didn't look to me like a lot of wild Belichick oh the blitz is coming from the other angle guys it looked like yeah we're just going to beat this guy let's 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 just let it happen did you see anything do you agree with that Derek I mean I definitely think more of the picks were just like their corners are better than the the Jets wide receivers and part of that is Belichick in the sense that like they're going to play you a lot of press man and they're going to force you to make tight window throws Zach Wilson didn't make very many good tight window throws and I think um you saw that I mean JC Jackson in particular that dude just lights out. He looks I, really good I this hope, season. To as me. a Patriots fan, I really hope that they're going to resign him. But he's going to yeah. Be he he um, just looks awesome. I, I would definitely say, Mike, it was not a lot of exotic blitz looks. Like, I mean, the Patriots run more exotic blitz looks than most teams anyway because they they run this sort of hybrid three four four three where you're right. not sure which who's an inside linebacker and who's an outside linebacker. But like, mm-hmm. when the guys who are like inside linebackers 
rushed the passer, they were lining up in outside positions. Like I remember Hightower on one play mm-hmm. in particular, but he was lined up in an edge rusher type position. It's, they weren't sending guys up the middle. They weren't sending defensive backs a lot. So I don't think this was like a real super confusion. No. Uh, so what do you think, Derek? So let's talk after two weeks here about Mac Jones versus uh, well, Wilson to start with, since they were in the same game, but Mike made the point in walkthrough this morning that Mac Jones is at this point, the clear leader for offensive rookie of the year, because he's been average, whereas all the other rookie quarterbacks have been poor. <laughs> My feeling is, I mean, it's, it's nice that it's kind of working, but I felt better about the first game than the second game. And my God, they do need to like, they need to get some guys downfield. Like, otherwise, it's just going to be the same problems they had with Cam Newton last year, where, like, isn't part of the point of Aguilar being around that you can throw to him deep? Like, mm-hmm. none of this four-yard average depth of target or whatever it was this week. Like, there was a really sweet scene throw to Hunter Henry at one point, and I was like, please, more of that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't think that he was – you know, actually, to your point, I think he did look a lot better in the first week. I think he still missed some opportunities down the field and could have opened up a little bit more. Um, But you at least saw a couple of plays where it was like, maybe he can open this up. Like there was the one outbreaker to Nelson Aguilar. He had the seam ball to Nelson Aguilar in in that first game. So you at least kind of saw where this could get better. This game against the Jets, he didn't do anything. Like, I mean, there was one play that I tweeted where, um, you know, New England had trips right, I think. And they ran like a dagger concept. So their number two was running vertical up against, you know, the Jets had um, cover six, which is like you have cover two on one side, quarters to the other. And dagger, which is like a deep dig, and then, you know, the vertical running deep inside of it, that's a quarters beater because you're going to get that vertical up against the safety. Mac Jones just didn't take it, and it was wide open. And then he checked it down, I think, to like a five-yard thing. And, like, that's – that is like Mac Jones' problem in a nutshell where he technically gets production on that play, right? He gets five, six yards. It's an okay gain. The, the Patriots can move the six, but he's very clearly leaving the better play on the field. And, and that stuff is just really frustrating to me. Those two games, right? That's a, that's correctable. Right. I, I would hope so. I mean, the, the, the only thing that I would say is like, I think it's so much easier to have a guy like doing what Trevor is doing where he's trying to be God and, and making mm-hmm. every play. And then you can be like, you know, when this team starts to be more serious, cause they're clearly not right now. You can be like, okay, Trevor, you can play for the four yard gain. That's okay. We can, right. we can just do that. Whereas I think with Mac Jones, he already has that where he knows how to keep the, the chains moving, but I don't know how much he has in him to where he's going to try to make real, you know, top eight level quarterback NFL throws. I just don't know how much he has that in him. Yeah. The opportunities are there. Like McDaniels is putting the opportunities into the offense. Jones is just not taking them yet. Yes. That's my take. Cause I did see some people being like, well, the the Patriots offense needs to open up more and, you know, get more guys downfield. And that's probably true. And I don't think they have great speed right now. Aguilar is really the only guy and, and maybe you need to bring someone else in for this to really be possible but I still think they had enough chances that Mac Jones could be throwing the ball down the field. And he just simply refuses to Mac. Well, Mac Jones is plus three fifty uh, to win offensive rookie of the year. If you're the kind of person who's making offensive rookie of the year bets right now, but I'm going to go check while you guys uh, one quick, let me see if I can do this. Has it changed? No, Justin Fields is still sitting at plus 600. Now he has been named the starter this week for the bears. Yeah, I think, I mean, let's see how he plays, but um, 
I, this is definitely, there's a good chance of this being a never get your job back while in PIP situation, I think. Yeah. But, I would well, also say, like, with just this rookie of the, the year thing, mm-hmm. Mac Jones is probably going to still continue to produce okay, but he's yeah. not going to have plays that are memorable. Whereas, like, Justin right. Fields is going to have plays that we remember if he stays right. as a starter, which you know, we're humans and we're dumb and we remember the things that are, that pop out. And so I think that's probably going to matter when that, when it gets down to the voting. I will right, say that's, that's, you pointed out that Penny Sewell and Rashawn Slater are at like plus 6,500 and they're court of sucker bets because no one would ever vote for an offensive lineman for rookie mm-hmm. of the year. And then I thought I can think of somebody who would. And then I remembered that actually I, I don't, I don't have a vote for rookie of the year. Rookie of the year is not an AP award. <laughs> and, and <laughs> so now just, I can't think of somebody who would. Now you I was, can't. Mine was like, oh, is that a challenge? Like, oh, I'll, 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 <laughs> I can be the guy. I'll do it, but I don't actually have a vote. What's funny is, this, I, I, and it's in walkthroughs since the 2010s, uh, Quentin Nelson got two rookie of the year votes. And I believe Warford got two, and maybe it was Zach Martin got one or two. And Marquise Pouncey, when he was the center in like 2010, he got a vote for Rookie of the Year. So people do vote for it, but you notice that's all centers and guards is never tackles. Because if the rookie left tackle gives up one big sack, that's it. No one's ever going to vote for the guy for Rookie mm-hmm. of the Year. You're going to vote for Mac Jones or you're going to vote for Justin Fields, like you said, because he had the 30-yard scramble touchdown that got them into the wild card, and that's what you remember or whatever. So that's interesting because if you're going to do that offensive lineman thing, it's going to be a guard. It's going to be a center. It's going to be Creed Humphrey. Because of all the things he did for Patrick Mahomes this year, it won't be uh, it won't be Panay or it won't be Slater. I do feel like the Fields. I would rather put my money on Fields at this point than Lawrence, because mm-hmm. I think that the first two weeks suggest that Lawrence is hamstrung by the, what the Jaguars are aren't trying to do on offense, and I feel like because the running plays will like draw more attention, that Fields will draw more attention as a as the rookie of the year candidate. Yeah. I kind of like, I kind of like Najee too, because no one else is getting the ball in Pittsburgh and they're terrible and everything. But I, I think I gave the example, Eddie Lacy, a few years back, just hammer out 25 carries, 15 carries wind up as the only running back with 1100 yards and nine touchdowns win the award by default. Yeah. But he doesn't even have that many yards so far. Does he? How many? No, he's, it's real bad. He's got receiving yards. He has a receiving touchdown. So yeah, it's got to get better there, but he's about plus 1000. He's the only running back really in the field at all in what's often a running back award. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's another question that we've got. Uh, well, it talks about, this is from Ninja Wesley, who's a Panthers fan. First he asks, why is DVOA such a useful stat in comparing defensive playmaking? Hmm. Uh, I don't know if it's a useful stat in specifically what you think of as playmaking, but I think the fact that it's measuring down and distance you know, so it's giving you lots of credit for third down stuff. You know, what we think of as what we call defeats, which include tackles for a loss, turnovers, and third down stops. Like it's giving you credit for third down stops. I mean, when we measure playmaking for defensive players, we use different stats. We don't use DVOA, but I mean, obviously I'm a big fan of DVOA because later on in the season, it's adjusted for opponent because you can break it up by down. Yes. Um, because I do think it's been proven to be more predictive than other stats. Because you invented it. Because I invented it and it's my thing and I got to ride it till the, till the sun comes down. <laughs> Ninja Wesley, thanks me for using my question. Well, we're going to use your other question because this is what I think Derek can really go with some thoughts on, which is 
do I believe that more college-inspired defensive scheming is on the horizon for other teams in the NFL? Because we want to talk some about the Panthers because they're number one in DVOA right now and number one in defense. And I think part of what's going on with them is believed to be some some college scheming, like, for example, this is last year, but I know that against Green Bay, they used a 3-5-3 set up against Aaron Rodgers, which really kind of complicated things for him. So do you believe more college-inspired defensive scheming is on the horizon? And is it the best answer to the quick play style offense that most successful teams use these days? The short answer is I think a lot of what is being done with this college offense or college defense, sorry, is the, the wide zone offense is getting super popular where that is like the meta on offense, where that's the thing that everyone copies when they don't know what else to do. I think when you can play in these, like, you know, where you have these, um, you know, three, four fronts or whatever um, that, that some of these teams are doing and getting into two high shells, you can kind of front load, your line of scrimmage um, and fill all of the gaps, which obviously when you have a zone running scheme, you're trying to sort of run into every gap in a sense where you're trying to keep everything open. Whereas opposed to if you're running power counter, like you're trying to hit one thing. So that's a little bit different. Um, and so I think teams are trying to do that. And then on the back end with the two high safeties, um, I think teams are more willing to not have linebackers be the ones who are trying to get out to the edge and try to get out, um, and cover the perimeter, they're more okay with having safeties come down and fill the alleys. And so I think that's just something that with this wide zone being as popular as it is, I think that's probably a pretty decent answer. I think the problem that teams are going to run into and the problem that some teams are already having, like Brandon Staley um, with the Chargers, is that when you run these fronts where you're only having three down linemen a lot of the time, you need dudes who can eat space. You need um, guys who can two-gap. You need guys who can do what, you know, Saban is going to call like um, – two gap, one gap, where you're like mostly playing one gap, but you are playing to where you can cross face and play the other. You have to have guys who can, who are strong. You have to have guys who can sit there and take that. And I think when you, you know, I wrote about this in the, in the chargers um, chapter heading into the year, like they just didn't have the personnel for that because most teams just aren't built that way. Most teams are built to have these four down fronts where you're one gapping all the time. And so teams just weren't ready to have the personnel. And so I think if we're going to get this evolution of defenses starting to do this stuff, it's probably going to take a couple of years from when teams start to implement it for it to actually click because they just don't have the personnel. Whereas like with the Rams, they already had the like Wade Phillips three, four, which was a lot closer to what these, you know, college style of defense is already trying to do. It's like you yeah, need I, that old Steelers thing where you need the Dan Hamptons, not Dan Hampton. I forget the guy's name, Casey Hampton and everybody. Mm -hmm. and, and I think of them as two gappers. Mm -hmm. But it's like, yeah, you're, you're the gluttons for punishment and you're taking up so much space in there. You might not even show up on the stat sheet, but you're creating all of those fly around opportunities behind you. Right. And you even need guys who can do that, not just at zero, which is, which is obviously like what Hampton would have done, but like you, right. you need guys who can play that like four, four eye spot on, you know, on the tackle yeah. um, where you're not playing outside the tackle in like, you know, like a true defensive end or whatever you're playing head up on him and you're going to have to play both gaps. And like yeah. Aaron Donald could do that because he's, just fast and strong as hell. And then obviously the Rams had like Michael Brockers, who was really good at that kind of stuff. Um, Sebastian Joseph Day could do it. Like they just had a bunch of dudes who could do that. Um, and you look at the Chargers team and they just don't. Like Bosa's obviously a good player, but I'm not entirely sure that that's his best fit. And I kind of wrote that no, in the Bosa's Chargers chapter. Yeah, like he's a, he's a legit edge in the way that we think of your, your typical pass rushing defensive end. 
Um, and that obviously doesn't take away from him that he can't fit into this system very well, but like, it's just the reality of what they have. And like, you know, I don't think Linval Joseph is what he used to be at zero. So that's mm-hmm. kind of a problem for them. And then the defensive end where, you know, that four, four I spot they're playing at least against the Cowboys. They were playing a lot of Tillery who just, holy moly, he looked horrible. And Christian <laughs> Covington, who actually Covington is okay. It's just the problem is like they don't have anybody else around him that's, you know, doing the, the job that system needs right now. Yeah, Tillery's a bust, unfortunately. He was a first-round pick, and it's just never happened for him. But even then, he was supposed to be really a pass-rushing tackle, which is really much more of a 4-3 thing, not yeah. a 2 And to his credit, at least last year, he was – kind of decent at that like he's not a bad pass rusher it's just that he is so bad at run defense that you you can't really justify having him on the field truthfully especially in this defense I think great interview though he was a great interview (laughs) yeah 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 so sometimes you move up a round in the draft by being a great interview so right so I'm going to admit that I have not watched the Panthers this season. How much have the two of you, I wanted to watch a little bit this morning and I just didn't get a chance to, how much of the two of you watched the Panthers this season and how much do you think that their defense can be really, really for real? Cause we didn't think of this as a top defense going into this season. Like we knew some of these players like Brian Burns was really great in sacks here. And I think he's been strong his first couple of seasons and yep. Uh, you know, Derek Brown's a good player and Shaq Thompson's a good player and JC Horn's a first round pick, but I don't think we thought this was a top defense. No. Derek, your thoughts? I mean, truthfully, I actually haven't really watched much of the all 22 on their defense very much um, yeah. yet. Just, you know, in part because like, you know, when they were playing the Jets, I just didn't yeah. think that that was a serious <laughs> opponent. Um, and then I just haven't really gotten around to the Saints game this week. So um and this it's actually a serious opponent either i mean they're going to chop davis mills into pieces yes <laughs> yeah, that's the thing too so we might not even get really an answer right. after this week about whether they're not legit um because yeah i mean playing any backup rookie quarterback is probably a bad predicament for the offense playing one who in particular i thought was a very bad prospect not really good for the texans here so they're fast that defense is fast i'll say that Shaq mm-hmm. thompson He's having the best season I've seen from him. He's been around for years. He's been a pretty solid player overall. He looks very good. Obviously, Burns looks stronger. Some other guys along the defensive line that are moving really fast. But it is hard because, again, it was a non-serious opponent. And then I don't know what to make of what the Saints did after the first week. Because, you know, I talked about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde with Winston. It was second and 20 all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like you had this this week where it was like a third and 17 and you're making stops along the way. So, and not a lot of that was necessarily created by the defense. So I think it's a solid defense. I think overall they're a team that's going to be hanging around a little bit, but they're, they're having their moment right now through Thursday night where they're the top of DVOA and they're going to be three and O, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, by the way, if anybody from our labs is watching, you guys need to update the numbers on your depth charts because uh, the linebackers for Carolina are wearing single digits now. Yeah. That's a pain. So Maybe that's why Shaq is even better now. Please update. That's right. It's the single digit effect. It's for all kinds of players are much better. Now look at Cedric Wilson Jr. For example, <laughs> he does look better. It's got to be the number. <laughs> got to be the number. It um, didn't work. Did not work for Jamie Collins. Uh, no, he looks slow as hell. Right. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> it slowed him down. Maybe just that number eight is not very slimming. You know, it could be that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I forgot to mention Reddick. Reddick is playing very well this year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really yes. Yeah, and I mean, last year it was like, was this a one-year wonder, what he did last year? Right. Now that they've made him just a 
pass rusher, and it yeah. looks like not. Ninja Wesley says Morgan Fox has been He's freaking good. beastly in our defense this year. He was probably Ooh. my favorite free agent pickup of the offseason. Came over nice. from the Rams. He, yeah, I, you know, I, I didn't mention him when I was talking about the other guys that the Rams had up front, but he was one of those other guys, and that was part of why the Rams front was so good. Is that it's not just that their, you know, their starting defensive line was really good at all the stuff they were trying to do. They had a two deep that was really good at all the stuff they were trying to do. So when they were trying to get guys rest they weren't really any worse as a defense up front. And I think Morgan Fox is one of those dudes that probably is never going to be your star or whatever. And he's having a really good season so far, but like, he's an awesome dude to have up front for you. It'll be interesting to see what happens to the Rams. Um, you know, if they start with injuries, cause they did lose a lot of guys this off season from their defense. They didn't lose the top two guys, right? But no Brockers, no Fox, no Hill, no Johnson. Uh, no, Ebukam. Ekubam? Ekubam or Ebukam? I think it's Ebukam. Went to San Francisco. Um, So Colts move the ball against them. Mm -hmm. Colts move the ball right down into shovel passes to goal line territory against them. Yes, just so they could throw an interception on a shovel pass (laughs) goal line. You always have to account for the Carson Wentz factor. (laughs) Um, Here's a question from King City 0714 what is our best bet to cover the spread in week three? And I'm bringing this up now because my best bet for the week and the football outsiders picks best bet for the week is the Carolina Panthers minus eight on the road against the Houston Texans because Davis Mills, I, you know, he's a yeah, third, it's round, that simple. A third round rookie. <laughs> Can I, uh, I'm going to give you a little preview of third of tomorrow's walkthrough here. Uh, if I can find it, not only did I bet that, but you can get the Titans. Give me one second here. Excuse me, not the Titans. You can get the Panthers. One last try. You can get the Texans. Under 16 and a half points. You get that at plus 100. So I took that. I took the Texans under 16 and a half. I'm taking the Panthers. And I'm taking the Panthers defense plus 350 to score a touchdown. So if Davis Mills is as bad as we think he is, we're going to get the trifecta on this one. I mean, I'm right there with you, you know, for, um, for odds checker, who I do some betting stuff for, I actually, they had me do a props piece for, for Thursday night. And I took, uh, I think like McCaffrey over on rushing yards, nice. um, Dan Arnold over on receptions. And then for the Texans offense, I took under one and a half touchdowns because how are they supposed to score? Right. Whether or not we think this Panthers defense is as good as, you know, fourth or fifth or whatever they are in DVOA. Like, I know that this Texans offense is not going to be good with Davis Mills. I know that. So <laughs> they, they they need is Darnold to throw a pick. I mean, right. That's the only way I guess. Get the ball in good field position. That's the, right. that's yeah, the, the, mm. the example I used was when Luke Falk had to start for the Jets a couple of years ago. Oh. And it was so, and then Falk wasn't a rookie. I think it was the second, third year, but I, I think him as a similar player to Mills. And it's like you're not even going to get a backdoor cover because the opponent's going to have the ball at midfield all the time because it's going to be, you know, third and 15 incompletion punt, falls at the 46. It was the Patriots and I think the Eagles, and you would just march down the field. It's going to be a game like that. Why were you particularly down on Mills? I mean, obviously, right, This is the, he's the second rung, right? There was a big gap between those top five quarterbacks and the next group that had Ian Book and Davis Mills and Kellen Mond and whatever. But why were you particularly down on Mills this year? So at least what it seemed to me like is part of the reason he was getting so much attention as like the best of the rest or whatever you want to call it was 
in that Stanford offense, you know, the Stanford offense is not anymore like the, the under center, um, you know, Jim Harbaugh, whatever it was when it was with luck, they're not quite like that anymore, but it's still a very much like a pro style passing offense. It's just a lot more from the gun now. Um, and so you had this thing where like, he was clearly running a lot more NFL concepts than most of these other guys that you're seeing. And I think people can kind of trick themselves into being like, Oh, well, he's doing an NFL concept. Therefore he's going to be fine when he gets into the NFL. The problem is he wasn't doing it very well and he was consistently late and he wasn't very accurate um, in my charting. I think he was one of two or three guys that ended up under 70% for me. And I think his company there was like Kellen Mond and Jamie Newman, who Jamie Newman is like already out of the NFL. So like he just didn't have very good company there. Um, I think his deep ball was in particular, very not good. Um, And so it, it was just so hard for me to see like, what is this guy's calling card because <laughs> mm-hmm. he doesn't really have great physical tools to be a playmaker and then i also think he's kind of inconsistent anywhere outside of like the one to ten yard area so mm-hmm. i don't really know where this train is supposed to go it, it was the elway type of prospect he's tall he did operate some under center mm-hmm. and so he he's very poised when he throws that like you know six yard pass over the middle on the shallow cross or hits those tall receivers, tall tight ends that they like there. And that was it. Uh, CJ Beathard kind of reminded me of that coming out. That's a perfect comparison. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, look, he can drop seven steps off the play fake and like fire the ball to the tight end. It's like, yeah, that's pretty rudimentary. What else you got? Because a starter in the NFL has to be more than that in college. And that's, I think what you're going to see. And of course he's, he's taking over a, uh, an offense that was just for two weeks. Well, it was tie rod, which means it's out of the pocket a lot. There's rollouts and things like that. Mm-hmm. He ain't moving. That young man is not moving from that spot in the pocket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rivers McCown says, this is very disappointing, but at least the Texans are developing the youthful Mark Ingram. <laughs> <laughs> at quarterback. <laughs> I mean, they might as well this week. <laughs> you guys have another favorite best bet that you like this uh, week, uh, past just to Carolina on Thursday night? I've got the uh, Edge Sports app out here. Looking at that Steelers, Minus three. And when I go in for minus three, they got a, the Steelers have a almost 60%. Uh, it's very, I don't have my good glasses on. 58% chance of uh, winning by more than three on that. I, I think that's a, that's a line that's a little, I mean, we, we can talk about the Steelers and their myriad of problems. They're facing a Bengals team that has similar problems kind of on offense and on the offensive line and not nearly as good a defense. I think that the the uh, the Steelers are very undervalued. If that hovers around three three points, I'm going to hit that. I mean, even before I get to my pick, I'll agree with that because, like, if we saw what the the Bears defense could do to that Bengals offense um, and, and to Joe Burrow, and to be fair, that's probably like an uncharacteristically bad game from him, and he's not going to yeah. be like that all the time. But that Pittsburgh defense is going to be able to do a lot of the same things and probably even better, get even more pressure. So, like, that's even if we don't really trust the Pittsburgh offense, like that's just a great, you know, defense matchup for them. Um, My pick is probably, it's kind of a lot of points, but I really like the Cardinals minus sevens against the Jaguars because I really just don't think that this is an NFL team right now. (laughs) They just don't have, like they just don't have dudes on defense and clearly their offense is discombobulated and and Trevor, the way that he's playing, which I think is correct, is not a, a way that's going to raise the floor of the offense right now he's very much shooting for the ceiling consistently and he has nobody really helping him getting there and so I think that's going to be a thing for them to be fair I think like what the Cardinals are doing right now overall is like not sustainable the way that they're playing offense it's very just much like 
we're going to give Kyler the football and he's going to go make a superhero play. And he can do that, obviously, but it's not going to work the same every week. But I think against a very bad Jaguars defense, it's going to work just fine. The other one I like, by the way, and this was my FO pick of the week where we do a video every week, is um, Washington as underdogs at Buffalo. In fact, this one I like. Apparently, Vegas, the gamblers like it also because this started as Buffalo minus nine, and it's now hmm. Buffalo minus seven and a half. Wow. Nine? Yeah, it started out as Buffalo minus nine, and now it's seven and a half. I mean, a lot of what, what you do on this game is, look, how, how real do you think Taylor Haneke's first three games have been? Because this guy, he's been positive passing DVOA for three mm-hmm. starts. I'm trying to catch his pass now. I know some of that is good. Some of that was good catching. There was no, there's no doubt about it. He was overshooting guys and they were catching high balls. Right. Uh, but he's definitely been a lot better than what you would expect from a guy who'd been on five practice squads and free agent. And um, so it's like, how much is of a drop do you think there is from Fitzpatrick to him? And I think yeah. That what we've discovered is the drop from Fitzpatrick to him is not as large as the usual drop drop from a starter to a backup. I w- I'll give you the plus seven and a half, and definitely the plus nine on that. I would jump on Washington. That that's still that does still feel a little high to me. Have the Bills that that big a favorite uh, after the way they played, and it could be a little bit of an overreaction. But last week they played extremely well against the Dolphins, but that thirty-five to nothing is one of those snowball games where it wasn't this domination particularly when they had the ball on offense where they were like it took them a long time to grind those points out and and i kind of like the washington defense against what this bill's offense is right now and i know the washington defense doesn't look nearly as good as we thought they were going to and i think part of that is because they're kind of bland especially with a lot of what they do up front and well they don't really do do anything up front um but (laughs) that bill's offense and they're like go Right, exactly. <laughs> but I think against the Bills offensive line that doesn't look very good and is constantly in five-man protections, um, they did a little bit better at getting into like more six-man stuff last week than, than week one. But like, this is probably a matchup where maybe just throwing, you know, we have four guys, we're going to send our best and, and hope that it works. This is probably a matchup where that can be okay. Hmm. Um, and then also like, the Bills are running the ball fairly well this um, season, especially last week, they did uh, fairly well against the Dolphins. But I don't really trust that Dolphins front at all. I think this Washington front is a lot better than they've shown. And I think part of their problems in DVOA with run defense is Daniel Jones being this like masterful, (laughs) somehow insane, uh, like zone read threat. Um, I think obviously Josh Allen can run, but I don't think they do as much design stuff as they used to. And I think a lot more of his rushing production now is scrambling. So yeah, exactly. And so if they don't have that designed run stuff, which they might, if they, if they're game playing correctly, um, I think this is actually just kind of a good matchup for Washington's defense to get away with being as bland as they are. Uh, here is another question for us. I'm going to completely change tack here. Ross Corbett on Twitter. And don't forget, you can ask us questions in the chat on Twitch or on Twitter or Instagram before the show on Wednesdays. I mean, you can ask questions on other days too, but Wednesday in particular is the all, ask me anything show. Yeah. What do you think motivated the NFL to introduce taunting penalties? And do you expect the uh, emphasis to remain after this season? And I'll start by saying, I've said this for years and years, people expect me to give some analytical answer when I'm asked what I would change first about the NFL. But the first thing I would change about the NFL is I would get rid of all taunting penalties. Hmm. Yeah. And taunting has been a penalty for 
years and decades. Unsportsmanlike conduct has always been a thing, but it was a reinforcement of the rule and it was a sort of a overemphasis, an emphasis, which is always an overemphasis on the rule. And, uh, you know, they claim that everyone wanted it because when the NFL makes a change, you know, the Players Association wanted it. And, you know, our Lord in heaven wanted it and, and everything. This comes from, this came from the Mara group and, and to that, that level of ownership. And it was spearheaded with that to a degree mixed with some of the things we saw last year that looked like they got a little rougher than they should have. Instead yeah. of, instead of going to the guys who was it Chauncey Gardner Thompson, I got the right guy. Yeah, John, Chauncey Gardner Johnson. Yeah. That right, got, into, <laughs> got into a couple of scuffles and instead of just Von, Von, Vontae's perfecting, him away for a couple of days, they make this blanket rule now. So it's something only a handful of people really like. And what I anticipate is going to happen is the emphasis on, on adjudicating, it's going to go down, 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 down. Because referees do not want to be there and being like, you looked at somebody the wrong way, flag it. They're going to lose interest in that. And it's going to stop being a topic. Until then, I'm worried that you're going to have games that were decided by it. There was, uh, who was it? Reed. There, there was one, uh, why am I drawing a blank now? Was it Justin Reed? Uh, got flagged Houston, in, the, in the first in their first game I think he got a really important right there have a lot of been... them have been on third down which is like really frustrating because obviously if a yeah. DB makes a play on third down he's gonna want to celebrate that's what they do right, yeah. I, right. I, that's, it's like I one in like... your face in your face and that's it and then and they're throwing a flag and like that that's bonkers mm-hmm. yeah there's got to be a way to allow celebration to happen without so much of the in-your-face stuff. Ninja Wesley says, yeah, let shit-talking happen, but if people start being toxic, smack them down hard. Yeah. Keeping the right ways to taunt. Don't get rid of it entirely. I mean, I guess I'm okay with taunting penalties so the players can't do this to each other, but... Yeah, yeah, and, like, this extreme jawing and things like that, but I, I look at all that, like, when I used to do cafeteria duty as a teacher. It's like, you can't have rabbit ears. You can't hear... If guys are muttering stuff under the breath, you can't run across the cafeteria and yell at them. You have to wait for that shoving match level stuff, that shouted slur type of stuff, and then you come down hard on it. All that other stuff is over over policing, over adjudicating, and and it causes a problem. The penalty I was thinking of, by the way, was a penalty I believe in the Seahawks Titans game, where uh, a 15 yard penalty was tagged on. And oh, on DJ Reed from the Seahawks. DJ Reed, yes, and it, and it contributed to one of the scoring drives in a close game. We don't want no one wants this for that to happen on Sunday Night Football at the end of the game, where it's the talking point for the next three days. Yeah, I think we're all in pretty much agreement on this one. Yeah. Um, here's a fantasy question. SD Bradshaw 92. Should I trade Pitts for Fields and Logan Thomas? In a standard league, Joe Burrow is my starting quarterback. I say yeah. Because I don't, I don't, I'm not good at fantasy, but any time you can get rid of a Falcon, get rid of a Falcon in any way. <laughs> any circumstances. <laughs> but I think that's probably is- fair. <laughs> Yeah, I think this is right. It's a, it's a tight end. But I think a lot – we're talking about Kyle Pitts, the tight end, right? Right. Right. A lot of us, it was like – I'm going to try and channel Scott Spratt now. Like, he was a guy who maybe was going to be the one rookie tight end who ever made a difference. And so far, it hasn't really panned out. And it doesn't look like it's going to pan out. Look, he might get bulk stats because that's what the Falcons do. And you're right. going to trade him for Justin Fields, who just got a starting job? Well, we, we don't know. We think he's going to Wally Pip Dalton and keep the starting job, but we don't know for sure. A couple of weeks, you've got a quarterback with scrambling ability who's probably going to get short chart touchdowns, scrambling touchdowns. And who was the other guy? Burrow. Oh, 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 who's the other guy in the trade? Yeah. He would get Logan Thomas, Wheels right? Wields and Logan Thomas. So essentially, really? he would be replacing Pitts and Burrow with Fields and Thomas. 
Yeah, you get an adequate tight end back. I, I'm no fantasy expert, but I like it. I think, yeah, it's probably fine. The Pitt stuff is so frustrating because I think he really is that good. He is the best, I think, at least I've ever seen coming out of that position. He is such yeah. a rare unicorn player, but that offense as like a whole operation has no idea what it wants to do. The offensive <laughs> line is bad. They don't know who they want to force the ball to. They don't know how they want to force players the ball. They don't have like a – their running back room is, is just really weird. Matt Ryan seems like he's on – the decline a little bit like it's just it's such a weird situation for Pitts to to get himself figured out I think you don't like quarter out Patterson in the Derrick Henry role you know <laughs> I think you know when I think of the Derrick Henry role I think of plus 210 pounds I'm not sure <laughs> <laughs> not sure we have the right guy here <laughs> Matt Noscott points out Falcons players for the loser league is the right move although yeah, that is correct <laughs> because we don't do tight ends but you can pick right. russell gage when he's healthy which by the way russell gage is not healthy now so <laughs> i don't know who their second receiver then becomes olamade zacarius or zacarius the prophet i mean i don't know if he'll get the three targets that you need they'll be so busy forcing the ball to ridley and Pitts. i don't know if zacarius will get the three targets you need to make him loser league avoid yeah. the penalty i'd be afraid of them in loser league too because of their end of game meaningless touchdown capabilities yeah, except they tried bit. to do that this week ryan threw two pick sixes <laughs> yeah but he got a couple of touchdowns <laughs> in the end there too two, yeah, credit, credit for trying credit for yes. trying <laughs> all right here's one more question from buff totoro on twitter for two games in a row opposing teams have run a 70 to 30 pass run split against tampa my guess is this is due to tampa's good run defense do numbers back this up and do you see it continuing how would you adjust projections if you knew opposing teams would throw 70% of the time? I'm not sure what, first of all, I don't have the numbers open, but I'm not sure what, what, what projections he's asking about adjusting. Obviously um, it, usually it's a bad thing to have teams against pass against you more because passing is more efficient than running. It's actually a reason why I don't remember who did research on this over the off season, but having a great run defense may actually be bad. <laughs> because it encourages teams to pass on you mm -hmm. and passing is more efficient than running. So you actually would rather encourage teams to run on you. And I don't think anybody wants to run on Vita Bear right now. No, no, no. And, well, one of the games you had the Falcons playing catch up for that entire game. Yeah. Some of what's been going on with the Tampa run pass ratio is, is, is based on the situations. Right. right. I think that's a lot of it too. I think it's, it's like they compound on each other where like if in the first half of the game you are probably that's probably when I think in general teams are more inclined to run the ball but if you're running up against Vita Vea, Devin White, Levante David, Jason Pierre-Paul you're probably less inclined to do that and you're going to maybe lean on your quick game and stuff a little bit more but then the game starts to get out of hand on the other end when they have Tom Brady one of the best offenses of football and now they're forcing you into a shootout so I think it's a little bit of both and if this 70-30 split keeps up, I think it's probably, like you mentioned, Aaron, a little bit more game situation and the Bucks just constantly getting out to leads um, and putting up points than it is necessarily that teams are entirely opposed to running against Tampa. Well, it looks like that's what the Cowboys did. They were in that game. And, right. there was, and, there was, and there was discussion afterwards that Dak Prescott was checking out of runs, checking out of runs, checking out of runs. And it looked like the motivation wasn't necessarily the greatness of the run defense, but the idea that the quick game was going to be able to work because he could knew he could get a quick out before that pass rush could get to him. 
And also, like, that Atlanta offensive line is horrible. They don't <laughs> want to be running the ball. Like, why Why would you? <laughs> like, right. they're just really bad at doing it. They don't have the players right now. So I think it's, you know, on top of the other stuff we've all mentioned, like, it's kind of just these two, like, you know, Dallas had the quarterback and receivers to be able to not have to run the ball. I think Dallas can win both ways, and they decided we're going to try to win with the pass today. Um, and then Atlanta, like, they just don't have the offensive line to even try that. They were like, ah, Vita Vea is significantly better than all five guys we have. Let's just move on. <laughs> but we'll talk about this game more tomorrow in tomorrow's show. But, Derek, we're not going to have you tomorrow. So let's get your thoughts on the big game of the week, which is Tampa Bay and the L.A. Rams. So what's your thought on this one, which I believe is currently Tampa Bay is favored by one. It was pick em. It started out as a pick em and it's moved to Tampa Bay minus one. That is probably pretty fair. Um, like this is probably going to be definitely a lot more like the Cowboys game where, you know, I think the Rams at some point kind of just abandoned wanting to running the ball, which I think it, this is the beauty of them having Safford now is if they had Goff, they either just would not be able to do that. And they would have to try to continue doing this, just running into a wall and hoping you can hit on your play action, or they would, maybe try to get into gun with Goff, and then just he's going to throw the game away whereas with Stafford you at least feel like you have a fighting chance if you get into this 70 percent pass we, we've got to be in the gun all the time that sort of stuff so I think the Rams as a whole have some weaker spots you know they might not have full health at running back right now um, and I think defensively their front is not as good as as it has been you know with some of the guys that they lost um, so I think this is a pretty good matchup for the Bucks to still end up winning, but I think the line being as close as it is, is probably pretty fair. Down to 1.5 now, by the way. Oh, it's, up. Is, it's moved oh, to yeah. 1.5. It's moved to 1.5. So it is on the move. It is creeping, uh, in the favor of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So, yeah, I mean, I look at it right now and yeah, you, Derek, you really explained it. What the difference is, I think, between Goff and Stafford, that is the final analysis there. Whereas, Oh, we're playing balanced. There's not maybe not that much of a difference between them because of how good Sean McVay can scheme things up when you're balanced. When you're imbalanced, Stafford's going to give you a better chance to win. And I think that's going to happen in this game. I just look at it and it's like the Buccaneers, they're better at quarterback, frankly. They're better at running back. It's going to be Sony probably for the Rams because Henderson is uh, has a rib injury. Better overall wide receiver, better at tight end. I think they're better at offensive line. I think the Buccaneers are better everywhere except the secondary where they don't have a Jalen Ramsey back there. I think there's more bodies back there. But like trying to find the matchups that the Rams have an edge on, there's not a lot of them. They're not there. There are places where the Rams are close, but there's not a lot of places where the Rams are ahead there. And that just has me leaning hard towards the Buccaneers. And I think this... uh, I was going to say Antonio Brown is on the COVID list for this game. But Scotty Miller was fabulous. Right. Like, what do they really lose? Right. I was just about to say, like, it it seems like, you know, the Rams pass defense is probably still really good. But I think the problem is like they have also gotten somewhat like they haven't had the toughest schedule. You know, they had Andy Dalton and then they had um, Carson Wentz and like an okay um, Colts offense. And so, like, I think what they're about to run into now is a significantly tougher test. And they really need to prove that having lost all the guys that they did in the secondary, that they can still be a really good unit against you know, opposing good passing offenses. But I mean, Tom Brady with like, you know, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Rob Gronkowski, um, like you mentioned, Scotty Miller, like, I think at this point, the Rams just don't really have the defensive depth to, to deal with that. And to be fair, there aren't very many secondaries that do. So Gronk going back to being a massive major factor uh, mm-hmm. is like, 
Like, that's just not fair. It's a cheat code, man. Yeah, it's so stupid. (laughs) Yeah, because you're back to, you know, we'll go dime and we'll swing by dime. Well, he's just going to run the ball on. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. All right, that does it for today's show. Thank you for joining us on Twitch. If you're watching afterwards on YouTube, listening on podcasts, Thank you so much. The Wednesday Ask Me Anything shows one o'clock Eastern on Wednesdays. We'll be back tomorrow, Thursday at one o'clock to preview all of week three. Tomorrow, it's going to be me, Mike, and Brian Knowles. Thank you to Derek for joining us for today's show. Thank you to all of you for watching the show. And we will be back tomorrow to talk more football, one o'clock Eastern Thursday.